0: Well, good morning. It's a great privilege uh, to have this opportunity to to be with you again. Um, I'm, uh, as Jeff said, I'm one of the pastors on staff at our Norton campus. And uh, a couple of things that I do is care and then uh, something called mobilization, which is just uh, facilitating and helping our partnerships with local and global ministries. And so when I hear about hope for the holidays, uh, man, it's just so exciting. Uh, to to hear about your partnership, your connection with the schools, and uh, just excited about that. I hope you're excited about that as well. Uh, Today, we're looking at the last emotion in our series, the feelings that we feel. It's kind of fun for me to talk about an emotion that's opposite of what I talked about a couple weeks ago, which was anger. (laughs) This morning, we're going from mad to glad. Glad. And as you think about it, joy is an appropriate emotion to be talking about this time of year. As, As we just celebrated Thanksgiving, as we move forward into Christmas and the new year, the celebrations, it's a feeling of gladness. It's a feeling of happiness, pleasure, and delight. God has created us with this feeling of joy. On the Plutchik graph, uh, Pastor Jeff has been using the last few weeks to talk about the the eight different uh, basic emotions that we have, joy, trust, fear, surprise, sadness, disgust, anger, uh, anticipation. We're looking at joy this morning, and as I look at this graph, it's, it's pretty fascinating to see the extremes of the emotion of joy. There's serenity and there's ecstasy. Um, The the feeling of of serenity, in other words, a feeling of contentment, a feeling of being at peace. And as I think about that, I think about, have you ever been in the woods and it started snowing? You can just hear the quietness. And there's a sense of serenity and, and contentment in a moment like that. But then you, you go to the other extreme of joy, and, which is ecstasy, and, and, and it's this delight, this frenzy, it's this feeling you get when the team you're on or the team you're rooting for wins a close game with a final shot or a walk-off home run, a touchdown, a strike. At that moment, you don't care what you sound like. You don't care what you look like. You're just like, Yes! And it's this feeling of ecstasy and excitement. Well, I remember as a kid what gave me joy. Rushing home and being excited because it was my turn to get the prize out of the cereal box. Saturday mornings with the super friends and a bowl of cocoa puffs. Joy was fishing with my dad around the tires at Wingfoot Lake until we had to go home because our Our strings were all tangled and and like a a rat's nest. Listening to the spring peepers while eating my mom's chocolate chip cookies on the back porch. Waiting for grandpa and grandma to come driving down the street because we hadn't seen them for such a long time. Joy was eating the cherries out of grandma's Carrie's uh, tree until my older brothers ganged up on me and started throwing them at me. These these are things, these are items and moments and relationships and memories that bring us joy in different ways at different times in our lives. But what I've learned as an adult is that sometimes joy is a little bit harder to find. Good Saturday morning cartoons no longer exist. Tangled lines are a frustration. Mom changed the chocolate chip cookie recipe. My grandparents aren't around anymore. However, I also know that there are greater joys that I didn't know existed as a kid. The joy of knowing that someday I'll see grandpa and grandma again. The joy of seeing my own children grow into into adults and continue to follow Jesus. The joy of being part of a church that's passionate about igniting a gospel-centered movement in our communities. There's this joy in seeing people love others well. There's a a joy in providing for needs, a joy in investing in life-changing relationships. But like all the emotions we've talked about, joy is is a God-given emotion that we sometimes twist and we twist these God-given emotions and they, they become unhealthy. But God has blessed us with this feeling of joy so that we might know his pleasure. In fact, joy has been hardwired into us. We are hardwired for joy. Joy is this God-given gift and ultimately what we're seeking is found in the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus giving his life for us so that we might be forgiven and have new life with him now and forever. The driving hunger, this driving hunger is what fuels us to continually pursue Jesus, to, to walk with him, to learn from him, to become more and more like him. God has wired us with this essential desire Despite some of the twisted pursuits of joy, the desire for pleasure and happiness is God-given. We were designed to be ultimately satisfied and happily dependent on our Creator God. And isn't joy something we all want? All of us want joy in our lives. I don't know how many of you remember uh, there was a comic strip uh, many years ago called Calvin and Hobbes. It's still one of my favorites. Calvin is this little boy with a very large imagination. And at one point, he tells his friend Hobbes, who's a little stuffed tiger, and he says, you know, Hobbes, happiness isn't good enough for me. I demand euphoria. And I think about that quote, and I think about what he's saying, I think, don't we all want a dose of that? Don't we all want a dose of, of just euphoria, that, that extreme joy? That's why if you go to Amazon and you type in the word joy, you see it's a very popular word. We, we use it to describe jewelry and perfume and dishwashing liquid. Now why, why is that? It's because it's something that everyone wants, everyone desires. Because in our lives, we feel like we're either losing joy or we're looking for more of it. For a lot of us, joy has become elusive. Little Calvin, who demands euphoria, oft even comes to this realization when he says, reality continues to ruin my life. In another episode, he concludes, life is like topography. There are summits of happiness and success. flat flat stretches of boring routine and a valley of frustration and failure. And the truth is, life has a way through people and circumstances and events and disappointments and failures and losses to steal, to rob us of our joy, to suck the joy out of us. Years ago, I I read a satirical piece that I think describes a lot of us I know it describes me at times. It was entitled, Man on Cusp of Having Fun Suddenly Remembers Every Single One of His Responsibilities. I just want to give you a taste of the story. It went like this. Marshall Platt, 34, came tantalizing close to kicking back and having a good time while attending a friend's barbecue last night. That's before remembering each and every one of his professional and personal obligations. While he chatted with friends over a relaxed outdoor meal, Platt was reportedly seconds away from letting go and enjoying himself when he was suddenly crushed by the full weight of work emails that still needed to be answered an upcoming wedding that he had yet to buy airfare, phone calls that needed to be returned. Platt, who reportedly sunk into this distracted haze after coming to the razor's edge of experiencing genuine joy, fully intended to go through the motions of talking with friends and appearing to have a good time, all while he mentally shopped for a birthday present for his mother, made a silent note to call his bank about a mysterious recurring $19 monthly fee. According to the sources, Platt tried to put his responsibility-laden thoughts out of his mind and loosen up, but suddenly remembered a magazine subscription that needed to be renewed, a medical bill that he had forgotten to pay, the fact that he needed to do laundry tonight, or he'd run out of clean underwear. And I feel like any one of us at certain times in our lives could put our name into that story. I mean, that's why there's so many books written about joy, how to keep it, how to find it. There are books that talk about living with, without negativity, books that explain how to break free from stress with the new science of neuroplasticity, <laughs> finding joy simply by being grateful to be alive or discovering paths through our problems as encouraged by the happiest man on earth. We can buy socks that remind us to, to choose joy. Oils and herbs that guide you back to your natural blissful state. You can buy a tonic, a joy tonic, manufactured by a company called Urban Moonshine. Or some drops of, quote, emotional essence for the transmutation of sadness. Sadness. And I'm sure that some of these things can manufacture a, a brief, counterfeit joy in our lives. But the question we want to look at this morning, where do we find true, satisfying, deep joy that's sustaining? Here's what I want to propose this morning. Where I look for joy determines whether I find true joy. Where I look for joy determines whether I find that true joy last week my my son Micah lost the keys to his truck and from somehow from his truck to the front door to the living room he couldn't find his keys and so we're searching frantically in the living room and and I was ready for bed I was wearing shorts and I'm out in the driveway it's like freezing rain and I'm looking and we couldn't find him anywhere well, later on in the evening in a different part of the house, in a different room, I was looking for something else, and I looked down, and there were his keys. <laughs> and I wonder how many, of, how many of you have key fairies in your home <laughs> that take the keys and, and hide them just, you know, spontaneously. Well, I found 29 cents and a couple of pens in the couch, but I couldn't find his keys because I wasn't looking in the right place. And as a whole, I want to ask us this morning where are we looking for joy this morning? Let's see, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced many times in my own life I've looked for joy in the wrong places. I've spent too much time, I've spent too much effort trying to find joy in things that were never meant to give me lasting, sustaining joy. And instead of inviting God into my joy, I let various idols take place, that take the place of God in my heart. You see, an idol is whatever we feel like we can't live without. It's, it's what we think is an ap- absolute necessity in our lives in order for us to be happy. It's what we give the most weight to in our lives, and they end up becoming so heavy we can't imagine our lives without them. But the reality is sometimes, you know, idols don't start out as bad things. They, they begin as, as really good things, but then those really good things become, we make them God things, and then when we make them God things, they become bad things. When they wield so much influence in our lives, they end up controlling our emotions, and they become substitutes for God in our life. Well, in the Bible, King David was considered a man after God's own heart. He's, <laughs> you read the Psalms, you read his stories, you see David was a passionate guy. He was passionate about his Lord, his God. He brought worship and a joyful commitment to the living God back to the kingdom. And at one point in his story, we read about David, half naked, dancing joyfully, ecstatically before the Lord. There was excitement, there was passion. Well, his dancing before God was so outrageous as his wife Michael was disgusted at his behavior. But he was being passionate. He was passionate about the living God in his life. Earlier in his life, being pursued by his enemies, escaping into the desert, running for his life, he could sing these words, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. And so David, when he's walking with God, when he's trusting in God, he's like, no matter what comes my way, even though I have enemies trying to chase me and capture me and kill me and I'm in the middle of this desert, this barren wilderness, I can still, my heart still leaps for joy because I know my God is with me. Well, there comes a time later in life when he's bored and he's alone and, and his heart isn't tuned to God and, and he's on his rooftop and he sees a young woman bathing on another rooftop and he's like, I've got to have her. I need this joy. And he decides to chase after his own joy. He, he can't live without her. Now, to make a long story short, he lays with her and she becomes pregnant. Well, to make the story even more complicated, she's married to one of David's generals. And so David arranges for him to, to be killed in battle. And via through <clears throat> through adultery and murder, David gets everything he wants. And he does it all for this moment of joy, a moment of, of pleasure. But we listen to the result when he he prays this, this prayer of confession later in Psalm 32. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You see, we make decisions to chase joy to obtain it for ourselves, and honestly, it may make us happy for a time. But it's not a lasting, fulfilling, sustaining joy. Another guy in the Bible, Moses, is is a prince of Egypt. He could have anything he wanted, power, prestige, anything, anyone he wanted. And yet we read in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. In other words, instead of chasing joy by indulging himself in momentary, short-lived pleasures, he determined it was better to trust God's goodness and God's promises. So where are we finding joy today? And so I just want to ask a couple of heart-level questions this morning to determine where we might be, might be substituting God with idols. And the first question is, what one thing do you hope for most in your future? When we chase, when we chase joy, we're, we're always looking for the next thing. When we're in high school, we dream of the day when, when we're going to be in college and we're going to have so much fun and we get to college and realize it's a lot of work. And, and so we get to, after college and why we're in college, we think about, man, if I, if I can just get a job. Then, then I'll be happy. And then we get our job and, and we're like, yes, I got all this, I've got this paycheck. And, and then we look and we see all the taxes taken out of it. And then we think, well, maybe if I get married, then I'll, have, you know, then I'll be happy. I'll find joy. And then we realize that, that marriage is also hard work. And then we think, well, maybe if we have children, then we'll be happy. And you see, it just goes on and on and on in our lives, and we think, what are we chasing today, hoping that it will give us joy tomorrow? The second question is, if you could change one thing about yourself right now, what would it be? Lose 30 pounds? Change your looks? Change your marital status, your job, your zip code? I mean, reality is that, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting change. But it might be an idol if we're determined that this one thing will ultimately make us happy. I'd be happy if I could change this. Then I would be happy. Another question, what thing have you sacrificed the most for? You see, sacrifice and worship go hand in hand. What we prize most is what we pursue the hardest. Another question then is who is in your life that you feel like you can't forgive? You know, maybe someone hurt you, humiliated you, ruined your reputation, took something or someone from you. And so many times our inability to forgive is connected to the fact that, that someone took away something from us that we just can't be happy without. What's left you bitter? What is it that that you just can't shake? You see, bitterness is almost always tied to this idolatry. Another question, when do you feel most significant? What is it that you hope people will find out about you and you meet them and it's like, man, I really hope they find this out about me. And what do you hope that they'll think about you? What makes us feel most significant is probably where we're placing our identity, and it's what we give the most weight to in our lives. The final question is where do you turn when things aren't going well? When things aren't going well, do you, do you bury yourself in work? Do you eat your way out of it? Do you go to alcohol or drugs or TV or video games? You see, these, these questions begin to expose certain patterns in our lives. Patterns that often reveal idols, things that we've placed ahead of God. And yet we read James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that sometimes when we pray, we don't get what we ask for because he says, your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? <laughs> we read that and it's like, man, that's, that's harsh. <laughs> that's hard stuff. I, I mean, <clears throat> what, what, what does that mean? Well, we know that an adulterer is someone who finds intimacy in another person that they should be finding in their spouse. And James says we're adulterers to God when we demand that... He, he give us certain things so that we can find happiness, fulfillment, and security that we should be finding in him. And we're asking him to replace himself with these these other things. You see, ultimately, things we chase after for joy other than God will leave us empty. Because our hearts were created by God for God a theologian named uh, Augustine said you have made for us yourself Lord our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you you see your heart was created in a way that only the eternal love of God can fully and truly satisfy As good and great as these things can be, a a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a marriage partner, children, success, financial security, good health, these things were never meant to replace God in our lives. Your soul, your passions, your desires, your emotions and thoughts were created first and foremost for God again theologian and writer c.s lewis explained earthly pleasures the things that that give us joy are supposed to function like rays of the sun that direct us back to their source as the ray warms us as it sheds light in dark places we look back along that ray to find its source in other words, marriage, sex, money, children, friends, good food are not the stopping place for joy. Instead, they point to the joy giver. I love, uh, I love this quote in the movie Chariots of Fire back in the 80s. It was, a, it was a true story of the Olympic runner Eric Little. And he says these words, it's fascinating to me. It says, he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I think that's an amazing statement. Running for the sake of running and winning was not the source of Little's joy. The source of his joy was God's pleasure. And he recognized the joy giver through the gift that he had been given. You see, remember David crushed under the weight of his sin and failure? I I don't want to leave him there because that's not the end of the story. He eventually comes to a place where he recognizes the true source of his joy prayer of his of his joy when he prays a prayer confession to god and he says let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice restore to me the joy of your salvation in other words no matter where we are or where we've been looking for joy true joy can be restored to us david began to look for true joy in the right place his relationship with god And so we asked earlier, or we said earlier, where I look for joy determines whether I find true joy. So where do I look for joy? I find true joy in God's goodness. In Natalie's book of the feelings that we feel, one of the feelings was, uh, I think it was the last feeling, was enjoyed And i don't know if that's exactly what she meant but to feel enjoyed is a real thing i believe it's at the root of experiencing true lasting sustaining joy and here's what i mean by that in in a small little book in in the old testament of the bible that doesn't get a lot of attention we hear how god feels about his people And though it pertains particularly to them in a time when they've turned from their idols back to worshiping the true living God, I believe it's how God feels about everyone who's turned their hearts to him. Because we see it when Jesus describes in in Luke 15 when he tells this story, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, it's a big deal. She, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found the lost coin. And Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens rejoice over you when, when you say yes to Jesus and allow God to turn your heart to him. And then we read how Jesus feels toward us and and what he did for us by giving his life for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he did that for us. He did that for you. God has found great pleasure in providing for us and enjoying us as his children. In fact, that's what we read in this little book of Zephaniah chapter 3. In Zephaniah chapter 3, we read these words, The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord your God is with you literally means God is in the midst of you. God is not just watching you. He's walking through life with you. He's not just near you. He's right in the midst of whatever you find yourself in the midst of. If you're a follower of Jesus he, prom- Jesus, he promises to be your constant companion. The whole message of the Bible is not, is not God is out there somewhere. He's close. He's in our lives. He's near you to support you, to assist you, to strengthen you. And isn't that part of the Christmas message? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, let's say it together, God with us. Not only is he with us, he's mighty to save. It's this picture of a mighty warrior who will overcome all odds to defeat the enemy. In the original language, this is said with like this emphatic oomph. It's almost like he wins. Oh, yes, he wins. God is powerful and mighty. He is for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? In his fierce love, God is fighting to give us real joy, true joy, sustainable joy, even when life gets hard. But his love isn't just fierce and warrior-like. It's also filled with delight. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that God delights in you? And it's too easy to ask, do you think God loves you? But let me ask another question. Do you think God likes you? Or I could ask, what does God feel when God thinks of us? Is it disgust? like, oh my, what a mess. Is it anger? Is it disappointment? I think some of us here have had had parents that treated us this way and we can't imagine God then any other way but God's word says he will take great delight in you. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're set free from the penalty and the curse of sin. We're no longer condemned. We're covered in his righteousness. Our debt was paid in full. We've been been reconciled. We have peace with God. So now when we fully trust in Jesus and turn to him, God the Father sees us in Christ, and so he delights in us as much as he delights in his son. He delights in us because of Christ and, and what he's made us to be and then his response is amazing god's response it says he sings he will sing over you with joy with singing he will rejoice over you with singing i remember a, a time my boys were small and we went to the village thrift uh, store and uh, i was going through some shirts and trying to keep track of the boys and as I was going through shirts, I realized, man, they play some really funky music here. <laughs> and, and the more I listened, I was like, it's just started to become silly with my boys and, and uh, <clears throat> started singing along with it. It's kind of making up words, singing, and next thing I know, I hear somebody singing with me. And I I look over and there's this grandma who's joined us in the aisle and she looks at me with this big smile and she said, I didn't know there was a party going on in this aisle. And she sang and and we laughed and and, uh, we talked a little bit and I ended up uh, modeling a uh, Santa Claus suit for her (laughs) that she was putting together. Uh, But the point is, I I was just being goofy, but it started with a song. I I made this connection with this stranger through a song. You see, music often brings us joy. Music can inspire us, move us, motivate us. It, It brings things to memory. We used to sing over the boys, and it usually ended with a lot of tickling. And then when they were really small and they were were scared or or didn't feel well, sometimes we would sing to them. Because there's something about a song being sung that that soothes us, that, that speaks to us. That's why I think it's so amazing to think that my God, my creator is singing over me. You see, God's love moves from strength to silence to song. He will rejoice over you. And and the word here is loud singing, loud singing. It's a a ringing cry, a joyful shouting. It shows how much God loves his people. He sings over you because of what Jesus has done in you and, and for you. And if you've ever wondered whether God loves you, let the words of his song echo in your soul. This song is for all who've sinned and wonder, man, can God love me? This song is for all who've known tragedy and wonder, man, does God still care about me? This song is for all who've failed and wonder, will God ever love me again? And yet the Bible tells us nothing, absolutely nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm enjoyed by God. He sings over me. To find joy, we've got to stop chasing it and instead rest in the confidence that we have in God's goodness and love for us. He's committed to us. We are enjoyed by our Creator. We need to become experts in God's goodness. Realizing His continuous generosity and daily grace, He's given us hope and and new life and purpose and a future. We are loved, liked, enjoyed by our Creator. We've been given the Holy Spirit to awaken our dead hearts. That's joy. We're adopted children of a heavenly father who sings over us, joy. We have a certain future and hope, joy. We've been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, joy, we've been given unlimited personal access to the creator of the universe through prayer, joy. We've been lavished with grace, outrageously loved, set free from the despair of this performance-based religion and given new life, joy. God's joy, joy flows out of God's affection, his love for us. And if we can grasp what a treasure, the presence and acceptance and the joy of God are, then even when life goes wrong, we will have a joy that sustains us. One pastor writes, when life punches you in the face, you can say, that hurt. But I still have the love and acceptance of God, a treasure I don't deserve you have a true, lasting, sustainable joy that death and deprivation cannot touch. You see, that's why Paul could say from the confines of a Roman prison, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now, that doesn't mean we should put on a plastic smile and pretend everything's all right when it's not however we can move toward joy when we begin to see the goodness of god who sings over us and we begin to see life as he sees it learning to be satisfied in jesus will will free us to enjoy everything else we no longer need to depend on on other things for life and happiness that means we can enjoy them as they were intended as the warm rays that come from the giver himself When I run, I feel God's pleasure. We no longer have to be enslaved by the gifts because we're no longer depending on them for our happiness. Someone has said joy is the fitting response in the receiver to the goodness of the giver. And you may be here today and you may feel like, man, I'm losing joy. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, I've been looking for joy. Can I encourage you to find it in the giver? If you find yourself struggling for joy, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you for the next 40 days, I will take you to about mid-January. Buy a journal or get a legal pad. And my encouragement is to every day, every night to think back on your day and think about three things that gave you joy. What are three things that gave you joy through your day? Look for God's fingerprints in your life. Be specific and and write these things down. Let it become a habit in your life. For example, I was thinking about this on Friday and I, I wrote a couple things down. One is, I'm thankful that an appointment was, was canceled so I could get some other things done. I'm thankful, I was thankful for the drive into work that morning and the beauty of seeing the sun on the frosted trees. It gave me joy. You see, when we're better able to recognize God's goodness, when we're better able to rest in his, in his joy, We will find true sustainable joy because it's only in Him, in the Giver, that we find true joy. Let's pray.